Hello everybody and welcome to Nintendo Week for the beginning of 2016! We hope you've had a wonderful time out for the holidays and a happy new year. I'm your host, Colin McIsaac, and I'm joined as always by Alex Plant. Happy new year. And Ben Lamoureux. I don't have any resolutions because I'm perfect. <laughs> uh, because we were off last week, this week we're going to catch you guys up on the last two weeks of Nintendo news uh, during our news segment. There actually wasn't a whole lot of really important Nintendo-related stuff at the end of this year, so it's going to be about a normal-length segment. Uh, but we've still got, you know, news about NX, some Amiibo stuff, some cancelled Fire Emblem games, and then a lot of news about Sakurai, Smash Bros, you know, what he's going to do for his next game, and so on. Then after the break, we're ushering in the new year with a brand new Mystery House. Longtime listeners will remember the Mystery House segment as the special kind of discussion segment where we answer questions from listeners like you. Uh, for a little sneak peek, we'll be talking about Nintendo's Universal Theme Park, uh, where they can go with Smash Bros, Mario Kart, and Splatoon for the next games, uh, and, and lots of other fun, awesome subjects that you guys have been sending in, so it should be a blast. Uh, I've been talking for a little while. Any of you guys want to say anything before we start off? Uh, so far, 2016 has been glorious for gaming. Nothing terrible has come out. <laughs> well, nothing's come out. Yeah, I know. <laughs> so, well, we'll start off the news segment with some rumors about the NX, Nintendo's mysterious new hardware on the horizon. First off, the president of Koei Tecmo mentioned the NX when he was asked uh, whether companies will continue to support dedicated home consoles, which obviously would imply that the NX is a home console, or at least has a home console component. Uh, meanwhile, Nintendo Enthusiast reports that the NX could be shown off behind closed doors at the Consumer Electronics Show in Las Vegas, which starts January 6th, which is today, if you're listening. Um, so depending who it's shown to, we may actually have details on the system later today. Nintendo Enthusiast also says the console will be about as powerful as Xbox One, but Nintendo is targeting a lower price point to keep the NX competitive. Um, like you said, you know, at the very least, I'd be surprised if NX wasn't available as some sort of home console, but, you know, maybe has a handheld component as well. Because uh, Reggie fils and did something very similar to that, where there was, you know, a discussion about home consoles, and then he brought up NX, like, in the middle of it. Mm -hmm. So, you know, officially, Nintendo hasn't said anything, but all signs indicate that, you know, it's it's at the very least going to have a home console part to it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, in particular, the, the big business reason to release a new platform would be that Wii U, which is more expensive to develop for, I'm sure, than every other Nintendo platform so far has been a drag on their ability to be profitable. And so it would make sense for them to replace that, uh, certainly, and possibly 3DS as well, because that's been slowing down. Mm -hmm. um, I want to focus a little bit on the sort of second component of the rumor, where they sort of come back to this expectation. I think a lot of people have that it'll be about as powerful as Xbox One. Um, I think if the rumors that they're targeting those kinds of specs are true, I really hope those other old rumors of it, that they're thinking of releasing new hardware refreshes more often is also true. Um, so far, signs are pointing to this generation being shorter than the last one, especially since Sony and Microsoft aren't hemorrhaging money and aren't going to have to release a bunch of software for a, lo a long time to make up those losses. Uh, and so that means that competing hardware is likely to come out even sooner than it has in the past, in which case Nintendo is going to have to keep up with those advances too, if they truly want to be competitive on a, on a spec level, which is what I would imagine they'd be aiming for if they were releasing an Xbox One parody console. Yeah, and that's something a lot of analysts are, you know, concerned about, that they're going to release something that's equal to or just behind the uh, current generation, and that, you know, two, three years from now, you know, PS5 is going to be out, and Xbox uh, 2, I guess. Um, <laughs> so, you know, I, I don't know if that's going to be the case exactly. You know, we, we've heard a lot of different conflicting reports. We've heard, oh, this thing is so powerful, it, it does things you can't do on a PS4. We've heard, oh, they're not even trying to compete with PS4. Now we're hearing it's about equal to Xbox One. And I wouldn't be surprised, just because, you know, 
as I've said before, I think on this podcast that it it's not like NX has to be a powerhouse. It just has to be user friendly enough and or developer friendly enough, I should say, and and powerful enough that you can scale engines like Unreal Four on it without you know making it practically like a brand new game. Because as it stands mm-hmm. now, you know we we use architecture is so different from PS4 and Xbox One, and you know how you you have to utilize the uh, the GPU way more than the CPU because the CPU is just you know crap compared to the competition basically. Um, so with 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 NX, it just it needs to be enough that they can that they can scale popular engines to it. But at the same time, Nintendo's not going to make something that's crazy expensive because that's not mm-hmm. what their fans are, are conditioned for. So I, I think an Xbox One you know level of power is is maybe what they should be aiming for. Yeah, I would certainly agree with all of that. All right, great. Details recently surfaced about two Fire Emblem games that Nintendo gave up on over the years, including a Wii game that aimed to simplify the series' gameplay after, quote, negative feedback about Radiant Dawn. They didn't say much besides a brief comparison to Pikmin about this game, but there is some really cool environmental art to check out. Uh, And also, we learned about a Nintendo 64 game called Fire Emblem Maiden of Darkness, which was ultimately reworked really heavily and eventually became Roy's game, Binding Blade, on GBA. Yeah, for me, it's really interesting to see that simplifying the gameplay was a priority for that Wii game, because I know uh, when Awakening came out, a lot of really longtime Fire Emblem players were were saying that the game had kind of trivialized the series' difficulty. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it kind of makes me wonder, you know, had a Fire Emblem game come out that was kind of Awakening-like during the heyday of Wii, I wonder how much that game would have exploded. Yeah. Because, I mean, in hindsight... Simplicity definitely seems like the right choice given the way Fire Emblem Awakening sales went. Oh, yeah. Right, and because, you know, Wii was a platform that attracted such a, a wide range of gamers, you know, like with Smash Bros, they tried to tone it down and make it less competitive because they knew they were catering to a wider audience. And, you know, with Fire Emblem, mm-hmm. they could, if they had, uh, like you said, if they had sort of issued this more user-friendly, easier-to-pick-up entry in the series back in the Wii era, then, you know, maybe it could have really exploded. Yeah, at the same time, I don't know, just given... Um... It sounds like what they were going for here was something that really, really simplified it. Mm-hmm. Um, and they were talking about moving units almost like you would move Pikmin. Yeah. So I, don't, I mean, it sounds like such a radical departure from what the Fire Emblem series had established that maybe it would have attracted a, you know, a wider audience. But, but at the cost of alienating the core alienated. fan base. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, so, you know. Yeah, I certainly don't mean to say that the direction this particular game was going would have been positive. But, right. But, you know, looking at right. the timing of when Awakening came out, which is, yeah. you know, after the sort of Wii and DS craze had died down, uh, fewer people were buying Nintendo platforms at the time. And so, right. so it, it, it could have soared even higher, but it didn't get the chance to. And I wonder right. if Awakening, for example, had come out on Wii, what, what would have been different? Yeah. We've got a few stories from the past few weeks that seem to show the Amiibo situation getting a whole lot better, too. Target is getting 20 to 30 Lucas Amiibo in every store, apparently, uh, when it launches later this month. Yacht Club says fans shouldn't have any trouble finding the Shovel Knight Amiibo, seeing as they're planning big shipments at launch and even more shipments every week after launch. And those Skylanders crossover Amiibo for DK and Bowser both got standalone figures rolling out onto store shelves, so you no longer have to buy those whole huge bundles just to get the one Amiibo. Um, And I hear the same thing is going to be true for the dark editions of those crossover Amiibo, but the the jury's still out on that one. That was kind of hearsay, I think. Yeah, I mean, obviously we can't comment on how this is going to be till we see it for ourselves, but uh, just speaking from my own personal experience this holiday, I know, at least at at game stores, not, not so much at the big box retailers, but at least at game stores, I was seeing a lot more uh, Amiibo variety than I was used to seeing. Uh, like, I walked into a GameStop, and I saw some Shulks and some Ikes and some some other characters that I hadn't seen in a while. 
Huh. Yeah, a few weeks ago, I was really surprised by the variety I saw at Best Buy even just, you know, a few weeks ago. So it's it's a positive sign. And Nintendo said back in the summer that they're doubling and tripling their sales estimates just based on how fast things were, you know, selling out earlier in the year. So hopefully that's something that they can keep up with. That's interesting. I was at uh, Target and GameStop both on uh, January like twenty or December twenty seventh, I think it was twenty eighth, maybe. Um, and it looked most of their Amiibo selection was the Animal Crossing series. Uh, there were like a couple links at GameStop. There was, I think, they had Doctor Mario at Target. But that's I'm surprised to hear that because both of these locations that I visited actually had a pretty poor selection on my end. Yeah, for me, Target was was problematic too. It was mostly Animal Crossing and Doctor Mario, and then Walmart's hmm. been mostly animal crossing uh, I, I i maybe i'll make an appeal to the readers what have you been seeing at your stores as far as amiibo lately and and maybe once we we sort of see these these particular amiibo trickle in we'll be curious to see what you have to say yeah you guys can send in some of your your insights and comments to colin at gamnesia.com that's uh, c-o-l-a-n at g-a-m-n-e-s-i-a yeah we'd love to hear what you have to say yeah uh but ben i think you had something too oh i was just gonna say it'll be interesting to see how the uh the stock for the Shovel Knight Amiibo plays out since, you know, they're, they're mm-hmm. producing or manufacturing that separately from Nintendo and sort of doing their own plans. But like you said, they said they're going to continue, you know, bringing in big shipments every week. So hopefully they can mm-hmm. live up to that. The mod that makes Waluigi playable in Smash Bros. Brawl is now available, while the Project M version is coming at a later time. And of course, I just had to try it out. Uh, I don't know if either of you guys have checked it out yet. I'm assuming. No, no. I have not. No. No, yeah. I'm, I'm surprised you were containing your excitement a lot there as you were mentioning it. I thought you would, like, start crying on the podcast or something. <laughs> no, this isn't quite Earthbound Beginnings, but, uh, <laughs> I mean, it is a pretty cool mod. Um, it feels a little clunky. Like, you can tell that it's a mod, but it's still fun. Um, a lot of the moves, I mean, are just perfect for Waluigi's wacky antics, but there are also some that are a little bizarre in a not-so-good way. Um, you know, not bad, just a little strange. Like, I don't think this is anything like Waluigi would play if he were officially in Smash, but since that's years down the road, this is definitely a fun and, for the most part, faithful alternative mod for, uh, you know, his his wacky character. So, um, And it's pretty easy to set up, too, so Waluigi fans out there, you can totally check it out if you want. Um, any comments, questions? Not particularly. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Colin, you're the biggest Waluigi fan in the room, I must say. I know, I'm just... I <laughs> A new playable character I thought would be a little bit more of a talking point. Um, the guy who made this mod is also now working on bringing King K. Rule and Black Shadow to Brawl as well, so you can keep an eye out on those mods, uh, see how they turn out. You know, since Nintendo's not going to release K. Rule. Yeah, I mean... <laughs> so many crocodile tears. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> Damn. Well done. <laughs> Sakurai opened up a lot about the process behind developing Smash DLC, too, speaking of K. Rule. Uh, or, or not speaking of K. Rule. <laughs> uh, so, uh, we can you mean speaking of comments. not K. Rule. Anyway. Not K. It, it was very cruel. Uh, so, we can take those comments character by character. Uh, starting off with Cloud, he confirmed some sp- suspicions that Cloud was really just chosen because Final Fantasy is obviously this huge behemoth series, uh, and Cloud is far and away the most popular of its characters. He then explained that Cloud seems extremely strong in Smash due to his speed, power, and his large attack range, 
but the team felt that these were all totally essential to his character, um, and as a result, many of his animations have a lot of startup lag or ending lag where he's left vulnerable to counterattack. Yeah, can confirm. Also, yeah. if you don't have his limit breaker charged, his uh, recovery sucks. Oh, yeah, so bad. So But true. even so, he's already my second favorite player. To, like, the, uh, I downloaded him day one, and I just kind of locked myself in the room and, like, mm -hmm. battled some level 9 CPUs, and now I'm just trolling all my friends and roommates with him. He's just... <laughs> he's, he's my Has new he replaced son. Samus in your heart? I mean, I'm still better at Samus than I am at, uh -huh. at Cloud, but he's probably my number two right now. Yeah, he's a lot of fun. And I also like how that Sakurai specifically said, you know, he's open to counterattack. He's vulnerable. And I kind of, I really like how that, and also especially the limit break charging, mm -hmm. it kind of translates the turn-based RPG gameplay of Final Fantasy VII into Smash, which yeah. is really cool. You have to think about the move that you're going to make and then think about how your opponent can, you know, respond, which I think is really interesting. Mm -hmm. Yeah. With Bayonetta, he really just reiterated that she won the ballot out of, you know, characters who were, quote, realizable, and now adding, quote, negotiable. So it's pretty much certain now that she didn't win overall, but the question, I guess, then, is whether the characters who won were, you know, like, Banjo and Master Chief type characters, or like... Goku, Shrek, Cory in the house. Spongebob. Yeah. Like, uh, he, Sakurai didn't say, but he did say that nearly 2 million votes were cast in the ballot worldwide, which is a lot less than I'd have expected, but maybe their servers ended up only counting, like, you know, like one vote per IP address, for example. Because 1.8 million, like, that seems pretty low, especially considering how many people were submitting, you know, like, troll responses. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, spamming the server. But you also have to remember so. how many Smash players don't spend their time, you know, on video game websites and, and polls and things like that, so. Well, and, and certainly, how many people do you imagine have ever visited the Smash Bros. website, like, period, you know? It's probably not a very large number, given that there's so many other ways that you can find Smash news that don't require sure. going to the website. Yeah, um, yeah, I'm. I I too am interested about who actually got ahead of Bayonetta. I think it's probably safe to say, based on the existence of a Shovel Knight amiibo, that Shovel Knight was probably not one of those characters. Yeah, because it seems like Shovel Knight would have been a realizable and negotiable character. Totally. Mm -hmm. I mean, uh, Yacht Club yeah. was asking people to vote for Shovel Knight, so that. I, that I, I really have no idea who could have been ahead. I've got a feeling it was more... Given the worldwide support that Banjo and Kazooie had, I've got a feeling it, they could have beaten Bayonetta, but, you know, just because the whole Microsoft stuff we were talking about before, um, it's obvious that Banjo would fall under the not-negotiable right. status. Yeah. Um, but other than that, you know, the only characters I can imagine, you know, that would mean realizable is, uh, you know, unless he means that as just some total blanket term to just discredit whoever the hell he wants, which I'm not really <laughs> sure he does. It's possible, but, you know, that that really leaves it to, you know, the sort of joke responses, like, yeah. you know, Shrek and stuff. Well, yeah, and, and especially given that Bayonetta was the, the most popular character that they identified for Japan, it's like, oh, well, then... And, and, and not no, only Japan, didn't, but she didn't place in Japan. It was Europe. Japan. She it was, was most popular That's for right. Europe and That's in right. the top five. That there. that tells us all already that there's a, a very different kind of block of people voting in this ballot than I think a lot of people were expecting. Yeah. Well, it's also interesting that skew because if Bayonetta didn't even crack the top five in Japan, I'm wondering who possibly could have. Yeah. Um, and maybe maybe there are a lot more sort of like anime-centric characters there being voted for, like Goku and stuff. Right. Um, maybe the kid from uh, Yokai Watch. I mean, yeah. I, I heard Jin Banyan was actually a pretty popular mm -hmm. suggestion in Japan. But um, yeah, I mean, Yokai Watch actually is bombing in the West. So <laughs> yeah, uh, I can see why they wouldn't have wanted that. <laughs> As for Corrin then, Sakurai said something that will shock a lot of you. 
There are too many Fire Emblem characters in Smash. <laughs> when they were developing DLC, they wanted to add a character from a game that either just came out or was coming out soon, and Fire Emblem Fates fit the bill for the former category in Japan and for the latter category worldwide. Um, Sakurai was hesitant to add him because he already thought that five Fire Emblem characters was too much. You know, it wasn't pushing the limits. He thought it was too much already. Um... But he consulted his team, and they convinced him that Corrin would be an interesting new fighter. So they decided, well, he's going to be fun, so it's worth it. Yeah, and I think that last part is really key that he's, you know, an interesting, fun new fighter. He's not just another, or he or she, is not just another, you know, uh, generic sword-wielding character. You know, there's there's a lot of different, there's a lot of variation mm-hmm. to Corrin's moveset. He's a freaking dragon. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, Ridley fans. <laughs> um, yeah. And I think we all agree that Corrin looks like a really cool new addition. Um, you know, I don't think he was necessarily a bad choice, but personally, I would have much rather seen them go with a character who's getting a new game, but also has a history with Nintendo. Like, Mario & Luigi Paper Jam is coming out soon, for example, and it's already actually available in Japan and I think Europe. Yep. And Paper Mario would have been an amazing new fighter. Um, and, you know, for as much grief as we give Ziplash, Chibi-Robo would have been really cool, totally unique, and both of these characters have over a decade of history with Nintendo. So, in that sense, I'm also just really surprised that if they're going to do a marketing ploy, which, let's be honest, he pretty much just confirmed that it was, uh, you know, that they didn't make it a little more subtle, or a little bit, at least, you know, more meaningful for the, the richer history of Nintendo, rather than just what's coming up. Well, right. I guess I kind of see it as, you know, they, they catered to the Western audiences with Bayonetta, where she took first in Europe and fifth in America, and then maybe they decided, well, let's cater to the Japanese a little audience a little bit as well, just because, you know, Fire Emblem, if, or Fates, whatever you want to call it, is... Uh... I mean, that is how I saw it, but Sakurai's saying that's not why he was added. Mm-hmm. So, I, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. It, it sort of makes me wonder, like, what kind of roster additions do the, does the team actually think makes sense? Because uh, you, you'd think if a new character was what they were aiming for, and, you know, maybe if what Ben is saying is onto something where they were aiming for a character that's popular in Japan, you'd think they would have gone with Inklings, since Splatoon yeah! is, like, immensely yeah. popular in Japan. It's, like, pretty much kickstarted an esports scene in Japan. And popular in the West as well. I mean, I'm guessing that they, you know, thought Splatoon was just, you know, not quite in that window. You know, the just came out, you know, May wasn't really what they were looking for. But still, I mean, Inklings, they're totally this huge Nintendo thing, and that's, I really don't get that. Yeah. It, it's funny because the logic actually makes sense for the other characters they added. I mean, you know, picks like Cloud, who represents the Final Fantasy series, which had its mm-hmm. birth on NES, or, or Bayonetta, which no one really mm-hmm. thought would ever get a sequel, but then the Wii U, version, the Wii U sequel showed up. I mean, those those make a lot of sense because they're characters that are, you know, deeply, in some way, deeply connected to, to Nintendo's history or Nintendo's present. But uh, Corrin is a character that just kind of came out of nowhere. It's No one was asking for Fire yeah. Emblem character. No one was asking for Fire, Fire Emblem character as DLC since we already got a Fire Emblem <laughs> character as DLC. Like, what? What? Why? Why Fire Emblem? I mean, I, I, it must have just been that Fire Emblem Fates fit that, that aim for, you know, the release window of a game in Japan and in the West more closely than anything else they were developing. And I guess they just valued that over what other, whatever other choices. Um... And that's totally up to them. And again, I think Corrin's going to be awesome. Super fun to play. But yeah, I agree. That's it's that's just very odd to me. It's it's really hard to reconcile that. Yeah, well, and another point for Inklings is Nintendo's made a big point of saying that, you know, they're trying to attract brand new customers to Wii U with Splatoon. You know, young customers, customers who maybe have never played Nintendo before, and they did that big birthday party tour and the, you know, like, celebrity event they did. Um, 
So, you know, they're, they're clearly trying to bring in this young, newer audience, and then once you've got them hooked on Splatoon, why not put the Inklings in Smash Bros and then get these new Nintendo fans to jump onto Smash yeah. Bros where they'll be introduced to Mario and Donkey Kong and Zelda and Samus, just, you know, all these yeah. great characters. I mean, you guys yeah. are going to be shocked to hear, but Melee is how I was introduced to a lot of new Nintendo franchises. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's, you know, that's... It's a great way to do it. But a lot of these kids, yeah, they'll have no idea who Corin and Bayonetta are. So it, it is strange. You'd think yeah. that their character choices would look a little different. Yeah. And it, and it kind of drives home the fact that, that for Smash Bros. Uh, DLC, none of the DLC characters were from franchises that weren't already uh, represented that were first party. Like the only new franchise that we really got was Final Fantasy and Bayonetta and Street Fighter, none of which are first party mm-hmm. Nintendo franchises. Yeah. Bayonetta kind of is. Kind of ish. It's still still a <laughs> Sega of. game. Yeah. Basically. Yeah. Um, but then Sakurai opened up a little bit about hearing criticism from Smash fans, essentially saying that he gets a lot of <laughs> but he says, you know what? That's okay. Cause for one, you know, we can nitpick all we want, but Smash is an unbelievable accomplishment on the whole. And for two, you know, different people value different things. And he says we should stay honest to that. Um, The following is my own words, but basically, for example, you know, if you're someone who wanted Ridley playable and you're not happy with the stage boss, then don't pretend you are. You know, you can be honest with what you do and what you don't like about the game at the same time. You know, nuance is important in discussion. Yeah, right. And, you know, it it helps them know for the future, you know, what what things were, what things went over well with the fans, what areas where, you know, the fans felt they needed to improve. So obviously not all feedback is going to be constructive, but... It's, right. it's good to see that he's not gonna, he's trying not to let it get to him too much because, you know, Sakurai is a guy who works just harder than almost oh, anyone yeah. in the industry. You know, he's, he's legendary for working 40 hours straight, taking a nap, and then going back to work. So, you this know, is a guy who works his arms off. Yeah, <laughs> pretty literally. <laughs> um, so it's good to see that even though he's, you know, invested so much, you know, time and blood, sweat, and tears into this, that he's, he's willing to, you know, be level-headed and say, hey, bring on the criticism. You know, I'll take what I can get from it and try to learn from it, but... It's it's good to see you staying positive. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's an especially big challenge I think for Smash Bros, which is a franchise that has developed a very competitive scene and a very big competitive scene to boot, but is not at its heart a competitive game. I mean not mm-hmm. not at the like sort of professional level. Um and so it, if it were to become this sort of full-blown the kind of professional competitive game that everyone in the competitive scene wants it to be it would sort of cease to be smash bros for everyone else right um i would say it's harder for smash bros just because it's this thing that first of all has its own really impassioned dedicated fan base not necessarily competitive scene but just fans yeah uh, and because it's something that ties together fans from all other walks of nintendo's and chronicled history um so you know when stuff like isaac doesn't get in and golden sun has no representation when you've got stuff like you know people are calling for like k rule um and i guess i'm just calling on you know some of the the higher ballot picks just because those are the ones that have the most you know vocal uh fan bases at least but yeah i mean when stuff like that doesn't happen a lot of people then you know tend to lash out and say we wanted isaac what are you doing but yeah it's a franchise that's already trying to be a lot of things to a lot of people and it can't be everything to everyone you know exactly and so yeah i mean i think at the end of the day yeah it'd be great to see this stuff but you know the whole of Smash is so great already, and, you know, it just gives us something to look forward to for the next one. Yeah. It's it's amazing how huge the game has become, too, yeah. even without yeah. all the stuff that we, we say we yeah. want. Yeah. yeah. 
My god, finally the last Sakurai story. Uh, he says that his next job after all this Smash DLC has been decided. We don't know whether he decided it or higher-ups at Nintendo decided it for him, but he knows what he's working on next. Anyone want to take a guess at what it is? So I don't really keep up with the series. I think maybe you do a little bit, Colin. Is he still really that involved with Kirby anymore? I don't think so, yeah. no. Um, I don't really keep up with it, but from what I understand, I think Amazing Mirror was his last game. Mm -hmm. Um, which is a long time ago. And by the way, Amazing Mirror is my favorite Metroidvania game. <laughs> it is. It is. <laughs> um, and it's, a, I think, one of the best Kirby games. Um, I would love to see him return to Kirby, but I don't think that's necessarily happening. Well, another possibility, I guess, would be uh, another Kid Icarus game. Mm -hmm. I mean, I personally hope it's not, but hey. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think given where the current platforms and future platforms are probably going, it'll be a very different game than Kid Icarus Uprising, from a controls perspective, mm. certainly. Yeah. I, I guess I kind of say this every time this kind of discussion comes up, but I really hope it's a new franchise and not an old franchise. Uh, we've seen Sakurai is definitely at his best when he's creating new kinds of games, uh, as we saw with his success at, you know, creating Kirby, even creating a spinoff of Kirby, Kirby's Air Ride, uh, creating the Smash Bros we all know and love. Uh, but at this point, it's been almost 20 years since he got a chance to create a new IP that is in a puzzle game called Medios. And I think we'd all love to see him get the chance to be truly creative for a change. Yeah, in some ways. Although in others, I think rebooting of like Kid Icarus Uprising, that in so many ways basically is a new IP. I mean, it still has the Kid Icarus name and it still has, what, Pit, Medusa, and Palutena. But otherwise, everything else is almost completely new. So I, I think a reboot can kind of be considered a new IP in many ways. Um, but yeah, I, ag I agree with you for the most part there. I think Kirby, Kid Icarus, and the NX version of Smash Bros. we've kind of talked about sometimes, they're all viable candidates. But if I were to really put myself out there, though, I'd say he's going to reboot the Murasame Castle franchise. Because Nintendo clearly wants to do something with this IP. Um, they released the original game in the West for the first time ever about a year and a half ago. Takamaru is in Samurai Warriors 3. They had the Ninja Castle attraction in Nintendo Land. And Ta Sakurai even said that he wanted to have Takamaru playable in Smash 4, but didn't think enough people would recognize him. So I really think all the stars are aligned for this franchise to get the same sort of treatment now that Kid Icarus got last time that Sakurai finished up a Smash game. Yeah. And I think it would be, you know, really interesting and creative and fresh. And, you know, that's the original is so old and so basic and so kind of outdated that it could have all the creativity, I think, of a new franchise and, you know, still touch in some ways on something that Nintendo's already got a bit of a history with. So I'd, I'd love to see that happen, you know, if not only for the fact that that is a franchise that can basically become a new franchise. Yeah, and now that we're seeing kind of Zelda take the leap into the open world, big budget kind of space, it'd be interesting to see a game like Murasame Castle step into kind of its shadow of where it was before. Sure. And, and develop a more linear kind of game that builds on the, the Murasame Castle sort of template. Yeah, it could be. Um, I, have the, I was imagining, you know, he would do something more like Kid Icarus, where he basically just makes the gameplay not even remotely resemble the original. Basically makes it completely fresh and starts with his own new idea, but it's just got this sort of samurai skin on it. The way that Kid Icarus just had this kind of Greek skin on it. Yeah. But yeah, because it's just so old, there's so much potential for creativity that it's basically like a blank slate anyway. Yeah. Um, and that's what's kind of appealing to me about that is, yeah, that it's this old Nintendo franchise, but it's still just as ripe for new ideas as new ideas are from the ground up. Yeah. 
All right, well, before we get to our lightning round this week, I want to drop one last mention in here for uh, you listeners. For a good part of the fall, I was working with a few game development students from the University of Southern California on an article series called Growth of a Gamer, which is now live at Gamnesia for your reading pleasure. There are seven articles, each featuring a different writer's story about specific games and experiences that ultimately played a huge role in defining who we are as people and not just as gamers. Um, If I do say so, they're all wonderfully written and they're incredibly valuable to read. you know, whether you're a massive fan of Mass Effect or you don't even know why people like video games, um, that's it's one of the things that I think is so special about this series is that the authors were all able to articulate these really powerful emotions in a touching way without losing focus on the elements of the game that made these feelings possible. So you get a very deep understanding of the human side of these specific games and as gaming as a whole which I think will really resonate with anyone who's reading, you know, no matter how much or how little experience they have with these games. Uh, I, I just can't stress it enough. I think this is some of the best content we've ever had the pleasure of providing you at Gamnesia, and these guys deserve so much for everything they put into it. Yeah, so I took a look at, at these articles uh, a little while ago, and I I take my hat off to you, Colin, for, for putting this oh, together, because well, it's to. really something to see people who are into game development kind of get the chance to be gamers for a change and not mm-hmm. be game developers. And so as, as someone who sort of follows game developers and what they do and how their lives are uh, sort of as a hobby, it's, it's, it's great to see uh, game developers who are now younger than me, which I find really interesting too, uh, kind of coming up and talking about their experiences, uh, mm-hmm. uh, especially since they're experiences that, you know, I overlap with to some extent, but of course they're younger than me, so not really. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, I found it very valuable. <laughs> Uh-huh. Yeah, so for Nintendo stuff in there, there's one on Pikmin, uh, there's one on the Pokemon series, and there's one on Pokemon Gold version specifically, uh, although those two stories have totally different angles, don't worry. Um, but there's also lots of other games in the article series, so if that strikes your fancy, which I hope it does, then you can find that all on the front page of Gamnesia in the scrolling feature bar at the top of the site. But of course, you can also find it with all the other links in the post for this podcast episode if you're watching on the site or if you want to go to the post on the site. So yeah, please read. I think they're great. And as always, to conclude the news segment of this week's show, we're bringing you a lightning round with little nuggets of information. If you want to read more about any of the stories we discussed above or anything you hear about in the upcoming lightning round, you can check them out at Gamnesia.com. The latest podcast episode will show up in the scrolling feature bar at the top of the site, and on that page you'll see all these links. First, we've got some upcoming dates for you to look out for, as well as recent releases. There's lots of new content that's come to Splatoon, including weapons and a new map and more. Super Mario Galaxy is now available on the Wii U eShop in North America, while Mario Kart 64 is out on the Virtual Console in Japan. Also now available are two new ROM hacks from the community. One turns Super Metroid sideways, which makes it like a whole new game, looks really cool. I would love to see that (laughs) speedrun. Oh my god, right? Uh, And another is a complete fan translation of the first game that Onuma directed, which was a Zelda-inspired adventure game for the Super Nintendo. That is available now as well if you want to check that out. This week is when Nintendo is rumored to reveal the NX at CES, so keep your eyes peeled day in and day out here at Gamnesia, because that news could hit any time. It could be up when you're listening to this, uh, so be sure to check out Gamnesia. Likewise, their next investor briefing is happening on February 2nd, so we'll probably get a rush of news in on that Monday as well, uh, Monday night here on the U.S. January 8th, this Friday, Shovel Knight Amiibo launches in the U.S., on January 22nd, Lucas and several Animal Crossing Amiibo launch in the U.S., and you can pre-order them now at Best Buy. Also, January 22nd is the North American launch of Mario & Luigi Paper Jam, and March 18th is when Pokémon Tournament's Special Edition Wii U controller launches, according to Amazon, which means it's reasonable to assume that that's the game's launch date as well. Then a few general facts from last week and reminders for you. 
Japanese developers voted Splatoon as 2015's Game of the Year by, like, three times the votes. Yeah, it wasn't even close. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Yacht Club Games will completely finish Shovel Knight and all its DLC in 2016. Splatoon will keep running Splatfests and balance patches even after finishing new content. The GBA version of Super Mario 3 is coming to the Virtual Console in Japan, and it still supports the old e-reader levels. Pokémon Tournament will support local multiplayer on Wii U, which means we're also getting palette-swapped fighters. Nintendo explains why they added Paper Mario into the Mario & Luigi series for the new game. Crush 40 hints that there's a new Sonic game coming for the 25th anniversary this year. There's also a rumor that that includes Sonic Adventure 3 and a Sonic Origins story. There's a whole hour of gameplay from Shin Megami Tensei Crossfire Emblem, a megaton of new screenshots from the Wii U version of Pokémon Tournament, and two new trailers from Mario & Sonic 2016 that show the full character roster, amiibo features, and more. Nintendo 2DS is finally launching in Japan with four Pokémon bundles that throw back to older Game Boy hardware. Of course it is. And I love that, just, you know... Yeah, me too. I wish they did that with more of their systems. Yeah. It's wonderful. Game Freak wants to make 2016 a, quote, great year of celebrations for Pokemon's 20th anniversary. Jinichi Masuda kicks off the new year with a message to fans about Pokemon's 25th anniversary as well. And Kimishima released a message to Nintendo fans which outlines the future of evolution at Nintendo, which I found to be a really nice and concise review of all their goals for mobile plans, amiibo, theme parks, and all that stuff. So definitely check that out if you want an easy breakdown and good understanding of their future. Dark Horse Comics is publishing an art book filled with illustrations behind Fire Emblem Awakening. Nintendo's gonna sell Street Pass Me Plaza's Kirby hat in real life. Retail copies of Bayonetta 2 are becoming incredibly rare in the US. A gorgeous limited edition stone statue of Fox McCloud is coming to GameStop this February, and pre-orders are available now. You can also pre-order the Nendoroid figure of Majora's Mask Link at GameStop. A crazy smash glitch lets you control eight characters all with the same controller. A fan is creating Mario Maker on PC, and there's a demo for it available now. Someone beat Mario Galaxy using a DDR dance pad controller. That's a nuts <laughs> video. <laughs> uh, a blind gamer has finally beaten Ocarina of Time after five years. A modder got Windows 95 to run on a new Nintendo 3DS. Sakurai's a big fan of Fire Emblem and opens up about his experiences with the series in a recent interview. Surprise, surprise. <laughs> and a Bandcamp artist named Jed K made a strangely perfect matchup of Kendrick Lamar and the victory music from Mario Kart Wii. That's going to be our outro music this week, but you can also get it yourself on Bandcamp if you want to listen to it in the future. So that wraps up our news segment this week, but our very first episode of 2016 is still going strong. Stay tuned after the break for our Mystery House feature, where we'll be giving you answers for tons of interesting questions from listeners like you. We'll be right back, so don't go anywhere. Or do. I'm not your boss. You're my boss. Hello everybody, we are back with more Nintendo Week. I'm your host, as always, Colin McIsaac, and I'm joined by Alex Plant. Hey! And Ben Lamoureux. How's it going, everyone? And we are here with our latest Mystery House segment. Mystery House, we've talked about it before on this episode. Yada yada, listener questions. They're cool. 
Send us more. Yeah, send us more. Uh, you can send them into Colin at Gamnesia.com. That's C-O-L-I-N at G-A-M-N-E-S-I-A. Or you can find me on Twitter at Colin McIsaac, C-O-L-I-N-M-C-I-S-A-A-C. But yeah, I mean, let's just dig in. So our first question comes from Haley Sands, who says, of all the great ideas you guys came up with in your E3 predictions episode, we got nothing. Oh, we are just that good. <laughs> <laughs> We're better than Nintendo. They're all in the other timeline. We're linked in Defeat Ganondorf. <laughs> Uh, one of the things that Nintendo has been promising is more 3DS and Wii U remakes, but they have absolutely failed to deliver. Do you think they're still working on more remakes for the near future? Twilight Princess HD, perhaps? I believe they are, in fact, working on Twilight Princess HD. That's a really good guess, actually, Haley. Um, or do you think they were just bluffing to get people's attention for their E3 lineup? You know, I, I think it would be... Very odd at this point if they didn't release, you know, one or two more remakes, especially on 3DS where they have such a, you know, a large uh, install base and, you know, you can pump out a remake pretty quickly and they don't Mm -hmm. particularly seem interested in making big new games for 3DS. You know, we're seeing little experimental spinoff games, but, you know, I I think it's almost just leaving money on the table if they don't pop out a couple more 3DS remakes. I'm not really Mm -hmm. sure what they would be, but... Mario the Thousand Year Door. Oh yeah, I'd buy that. Um, yeah, I just think they've either moved all that stuff over to the NX or else they're saving it for the last few moments of, uh, the 3DS or Wii U life cycles, uh, just to, you know, to pad out the, the software lineup a little bit. But uh, honestly, I think a lot of that was just hyperbole. They wouldn't have straight up lied that there were more 3DS remakes on the way, obviously, but it's been ages since those comments and we haven't seen a single one. I mean, those, they came after, I believe, Xenoblade Chronicles 3D came out and that's the only one we've seen. Um, so I can't imagine that this was actually a core strategy for the system, like they said it was. Um, you know, they maybe got one or two in the pipeline, but I can't see more than that. Well, you mentioning Xenoblade Chronicles 3D reminded me, have they really done anything with new 3DS at all since Xenoblade Chronicles 3D? So... And the last time they mentioned exclusives, Reggie just said something along the lines of, we have more digital exclusives on the way. So... Finding Isaac... Yeah, exactly. Finding of Isaac. That's <laughs> it. Um, so there's really no way to to predict what they're going to do based on their past comments because they don't even seem to be following through on their past <laughs> comments. Um, yeah. So I don't know. It's that's the best we got for you, Haley. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, and, and 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 now that we're kind of running up on the announcement of NX, it's we're in this kind of quiet period where we're not really hearing them say much about 3ds and Wii U. Other than that, we're still making games for them. We promise. So so we really can't even update our predictions. Yeah. Um, if anything, I'm a lot less confident now because we've just seen so little for either system. Um, yeah. I'm predicting that Zelda U and Star Fox will not both be delayed until 2017. But other than that, I really can't say anything. <laughs> yeah. Well, we talked about this back at last E3, and and we said, you know, with the lineup being so thin for 2015, and with the stuff we've seen so far for 2016, it's really hard to imagine that there's anything else significant in the pipeline. Mm-hmm. They would have said something. They would. I know they said they don't like showing us stuff that's more than a year out, but they would have shown us stuff if there was stuff. Mm-hmm. They don't want people jumping ship. That's yeah. like their top priority right now. Well, that's now. the thing, you know, it's, so. it's been six or seven months now since E3, and we still really haven't seen very much new since then. I hope I'm pronouncing this right. I'm sorry. Caden Renz asks, how do you feel about Nintendo signing away a lot of rights to other companies? Theme parks to Universal and Pikachu's adorable face to Build-A-Bear, etc. I think this is really good as long as they, you know, keep quality control up and make sure that they're not mm-hmm. hurting their brand. You know, as far as I'm concerned, Nintendo has 
you know, some of the most recognizable IP in the world, and they they haven't been doing enough lately to get them out there and to make money off them yeah. and to attract new fans. So I think, uh, I mean, we haven't seen what they're doing to theme parks yet, but they spent like five years negotiating it. So I can't imagine this is going to be something, you know, sloppy that's going to hurt Nintendo's right. name. And, you know, the Build-A-Bear, that Pikachu looks adorable. So mm-hmm. uh, from the examples given, I think they're both great ideas. Yeah, I mean, I think it's great. Merchandising is definitely one of the best ways to keep your franchises relevant. I can't imagine Angry Birds or Minecraft being anything like they are if they hadn't been all over things like t-shirts and plushies and whatnot. And I think that's one of the biggest things that Nintendo's been overlooking for a really long time now. And they should be kind of embarrassed by that, honestly. They have some of the best characters ever created, ever. But... I mean, hey, they're fixing it, and I have faith that they'll do justice by these franchises, you know, movies, merchandise, mobile games, theme parks, all the way around, I think it's just going to be top quality, totally amazing stuff, so, uh, you know, positive vibes everywhere. Yeah, I mean, based on what we've seen from other sort of big franchises that have licensed themselves out, uh, the only thing that I'd be at all worried about is movies, just because we've seen plenty of Japanese franchises get ruined by bad western adaptations in hollywood but i've also seen the pikmin short films so i'm i've got good faith there too well yeah that that was kind of where i was going with that is that i think if we did see movies nintendo would be so deeply involved that we wouldn't have the problems we have mm-hmm. with things like the film adaptation of avatar the film adaptation of dragon oh, ball z oh uh, don't even. we don't talk about the film <laughs> adaptation not, these didn't of happen avatar. i don't know what you're super, talking about super mario bros oh that was like, great none movie. of that's gonna i don't know none about. of that's gonna <laughs> I love watching that one. Luigi Mario. I do love watching that one, actually. Uh, the, the Bob-omb's my favorite part. I love that little guy. He's my favorite character. I'm pretty fond of Raptor Yoshi. Oh, Jesus Christ. Um, I don't think there's any risk of, of that kind of thing happening, though. I uh-huh. think they've got... You know, this isn't the 80s anymore, first of all, so the Super Mario Bros. thing won't happen. Uh, they've got pretty tight control of their IP, and it's not something that's like... they. It's not something they consider as being dying out and in need of like someone else to reinvigorate it. Mm -hmm. Uh, they seem to be giving the reins to these other companies to kind of expand their IP, not because they're withering and dying and need help. And Nintendo may be a little bit sheltered in terms of what other media is doing, especially in the West, but I think they at least know enough about Michael Bay and M. Night Shyamalan (laughs) to keep their stuff away. Yeah. I'm a little shocked they didn't partner with with Disney though, you know. Yeah, me too. It's so there's there's still a little bit of skepticism for me in terms of like, will they make the right calls with all these partnerships? Because Universal, I'm sure, will do a great job, but it seems like they would have been much more at home with Disney. Well, we also don't know if Universal is going to do anything with their you know movie rights deals. They could still totally be working with Pixar on those. And come on, do it, please. But yeah, yeah. lots of question marks. Yeah. But but I, I think in general it's a positive. It's it's a positive yeah. thing. Yeah. Totally. Um, Robert Howtrier asks, since we now have Minecraft, what other major indie games would you like to see come to Wii U? So for me, the answer is both obvious and optimistic because it's probably going to happen, and that's Axiom Verge. Mm. Uh, You know, you guys have heard me rant, but I I think legitimately to me axiom verge is my favorite 2d metroid game so um and and tom hap you know the sole developer of the game someone had asked him on i don't remember maybe twitter or something like that a little while ago if there was any chance for uh, axiom verge to come to wii u and he said it's probably happening in 2016 and he just kind of left it at that mm-hmm. so uh you know there's a very good chance of that and i think that's a game that a lot of nintendo fans would just eat right up and especially since you know nintendo's not nintendo hasn't made a new 2d metroid game in well over a decade and they haven't made one at all in quite a few years so um yeah i'd love to see undertale uh because of the huge earthbound ties but i I think that was all made in rpg maker so that's not happening 
Um, yeah, Axiom Verge would be awesome. Gang Beasts would be a lot of fun. Those of you, if anyone's heard of Gang Beasts. Uh, but the big one for me is Rocket League. Yes. Yeah, because obviously that's such a big thing right now, but also because Nintendo skins on those cars would be so perfect. <laughs> um, and I think they're, they're doing like some Microsoft character skins on them for Xbox One. But, you know, obviously there's stuff like the Blue Falcon, Landmasters, Samus's ship, Mario Karts, which would all be great to see. But then there's also stuff like Bowser's Hot Rod from the 3D World, um, DKC Minecarts. And what I really want to see is the cars from Stunt Race FX for the Super Nintendo, which is just the perfect crossover for Rocket League. And it would be a fun little callback to one of the more obscure moments in Nintendo's history. Not a lot of people remember that game, but it was pretty cool. And it was at least cute and designed really nicely, and it just fits really well with Rocket League. So I'd love to see skins like that. My pick... And I really only have one, uh, it, apart from Rogue Legacy, which is a game I haven't played, but I would like to play on Wii U rather than on PS4. Um, the big one that I'd love to see, though, and this will not happen, but it would be great if it did, is No Man's Sky. Mm. That's such a huge game that a lot of people are anticipating. And I know it's so strongly associated with PlayStation at this point, but can, I can totally imagine great user experience tweaks with, with the Wii U gamepad. Uh, especially since it has this sort of ship component, which mm-hmm. could be really fun if they had sort of ship controls on the gamepad. Um, I don't know. It's just such an imaginative game, and I'd love to see more of those imaginative sort of exploration, uh, new boundary, no boundaries, uh, pioneering games on Wii U. And, mm-hmm. and Minecraft is a good step, and this would be a good sort of second step. Yeah, yeah. I, I love that in theory. My, I think my... Uh... My biggest reason for probably why it wouldn't happen isn't the Sony ties, but just the fact that Wii U only has one gigabyte of RAM for uh, oh, yeah. know, dedicated to games. So yeah. I can't imagine you'd be able to, you know, load that massive yeah. of a game. Yeah, it, it's it's probably a more possible on NX, but probably still not possible mm-hmm. on NX. But but I can dream, can't I? Please do. <laughs> And my apologies to you listeners, Uh, I ran into some unexpected time constraints editing this episode, so I had to cut two questions out of this week's Mystery House, but we'll pick those back up next week, and we'll probably finish off the questions that are uh, stored up in our wheelhouse as well, so you can look forward to another Mystery House segment next week, and be sure to send in your questions so we can do more in the future. Great. Well, that is a wonderful Mystery House segment. Well, we've got more questions coming in, so we can do another one soon. Uh, and please remember to send in your own if you're listening, if you thought these discussions were interesting. Uh, please send those in to Colin at Gamnesia.com, C-O-L-I-N-M-C-I-S-A-A-C on Twitter. Um, and yeah, that's it's great. So everybody, thank you for listening. This is the Endo Nintendo Week for today. If you like this podcast, please subscribe to us on iTunes or subscribe to us on YouTube at Gamnesia TV for bite-sized discussions from the show. And please head to iTunes to leave us a review. It really helps with visibility, so we greatly appreciate it. We've made it to 50 reviews. Thank you so much for everyone who's been showing your love. Let's aim even higher. If you have feedback for Nintendo Week, you can send it to Colin at Gamnesia.com or you can find me on Twitter again. And remember to send in your questions. You know, we talk about them here on the show just like we did in Mystery House. So, uh, you know, it's a great way to get involved. I've read my email address and stuff enough times. I'm sure you know it by now in this episode. Alex, they can find you on Twitter too? Yes, they can find me at Legend of Lex. And one of my 2016 New Year's resolutions is to tweet more since... I am terrible at Twitter and like <laughs> Facebook better, but whatever. I I'll can never it. figure I'll out do how it to for use you. hashtags the right way. Oh, I know. And it keeps changing too, doesn't it? <laughs> I don't know about that. Oh, God. I feel I like it not. does. Um, 
But if you can't wait till next week for more of our stuff, you can head to Gamnesia.com to see more gaming news as it happens. We've got Sony, Microsoft, Indie, you name it, and even Nintendo news that we didn't have the time to discuss on this week's show. So thank you all for listening, and we hope you have another great week. I'm going to hell for that Sakurai comment. <laughs>